Just a quick word of warning before we get going that the following podcast will almost certainly contain spoilers and may also contain strong language and conversations of an adult nature. Hello and welcome to episode 65 of Strong Language and Violent Scenes, the podcast giving a second chance to films that might not deserve them. I'm Mitch Bain, I'm a lapsed horror writer and an occasional doer of musical things. And I'm Andy Stewart, actively tripping. And joining us tonight, she is the director of Hulu's All That We Destroy and the upcoming Fright Fest selection, Satanic Panic. It's Chelsea Stardust. Chelsea, hello. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. No problem, no problem. Thank you for taking the time to do this. We appreciate it. <laughs> yeah, and uh, thank you. I, I thank everyone every time for choosing their films, but especially a massive thanks for choosing this film. I am a massive fan of this film. Mitch, I'm going to go out on a limb and guess this was a first watch for you. This was a first watch oh. for me as of yesterday. Oh my goodness. Uh, yeah, so uh, for anyone that doesn't know, you have gone for uh, Frank Henelotter's Brain Damage. So why this one? So saw this film for the first time in, uh, let's see, it was February 2018. So just, you know, last year I saw it. And oh, um, yeah, which is crazy. Um, I saw it at the Egyptian Theater here in Los Angeles, and they were doing a Frank Lauder triple feature. And I watched the movie and immediately went into the lobby and bought the Arrow Video Blu-ray because they were selling yeah. them out in the lobby. And they had a little like, Elmer model and I thought holy shit this is like in my top 10 favorite horror movies because it just blew me away and I had no <laughs> I, I had no idea that like Zachary was the voice of Elmer like the minute yeah. he opened his mouth I was like what is happening it it totally blew my mind and I was just in awe of it and and it's become a new favorite of mine and I just could not stop thinking about it I think I watched it three days in a row after that and I'm just <laughs> absolutely obsessed with it I'm just like this movie is insane and also reminds me of other 80s movies I love it, it also kind of reminds me a little bit of Repo Man All right, okay. yeah so I was just absolutely obsessed it is my favorite Hen and Lauder film too and uh even i mean i love basket case and frankenhooker but just it being part of that trilogy it was the best to me by far i just could not get enough of it now it's my drug so <laughs> <laughs> well uh, i have to say chelsea you are in the presence of someone who has a avowed dislike for basket case yeah this was an interesting one for me so um i the only Frank Henelotter film, it's a running joke on the podcast that I'm super ignorant or I'm way more ignorant than most of the guests and Andy. And that like a lot of the time when people <laughs> pick things, I'm seeing them for the first time. Okay, got it. And the only Frank Henelotter film that I'd seen before this was Basket Case, which I didn't particularly like. So when you chose this, I didn't know anything about it. And Andy basically explained what it was. And he's like, I think you're going to like this a little more. And he was correct. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's kind of cool, though, that you are picking something that you kind of came to a little bit later. I can because a lot of the time when people come on the show, they're picking something that kind of like they like it for reasons that they can't they kind of can't quantify because they saw it when they were like twelve, yes. and you just kind of attach a nostalgia to it that you can't kind of walk back. So it's cool that you watched it with kind of fresh eyes just as recently as last year. Yeah, I just was totally blown away by it, and also like they showed them in order that they were made. So Basket Case and and seeing Basket Case on a big screen, and I had seen it before, but it was. It was pretty intense, like loud and in your face because, you know, the, the sound Belial makes is is insane. And I was like, whoa, I was kind of like recovering from that experience. And then I say, see brain damage. And I just thought, oh, my God, this is this movie is everything. And I'm a huge John Waters fan. And it was sort of ticking a lot of like John Waters <laughs> boxes for me, too. So, um, yeah, I feel like brain damage is pretty, I mean, as insane as it is, it's pretty, I feel accessible for an audience. So someone who maybe doesn't like basket case would find something that they love about brain damage, even more than Frankenhooker too. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like speaking as a living example of that, I totally agree. I got on board with this way faster. Um, yeah. So yeah. Chelsea, don't know if you've heard the show before, but there is something that we make everyone do. So there will be people out there who are listening to this who haven't seen brain damage. So what we're going to ask you to do, if you're up for it, is that Andy's going to put 30 seconds on the clock. I'm going to count you in, and we're going to ask you to give us your best 30-second synopsis of brain damage. Are you ready to be counted in? 
I'm ready. <laughs> okay, here we go. Three, two, one, go. Uh, brain damage is the story of my favorite blue dick turd, Elmer, uh, who's voiced by Zachary, <laughs> and uh, basically gives you a lesson as to uh, how drug use is way better than drug abuse, and uh, uh, it, it will literally blow your mind wide open. There you go. Yeah, that's fine. That's good. That's that's good. Five five seconds remaining. I'd say probably top ten percentile match. Interesting. I I like the less plot, more overall message yes, thing that you exactly. went for there. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah straight in i um uh, after the kind of uh collection of creepy carved statues and anatomical diagrams that we get um i think that the kind of the opening where you get kind of uh martha and morris as we come to know later yep. the and Ack uh, the ackermans the ackermans okay thank you yeah. um yeah i think that the kind of the entire mystery of the way that they play up elmer at this point is really cool when they come back and they kind of have this kind of very ordinary conversation about him having to go to the kind of fancy deli to get this and what he turned, like what he re reveals is so repulsive. They're very gorgeous looking brains. And yeah, the way they sort of, they're talking about their, their behavior. And then you're like, what is this leading to? And their reaction, especially Martha's, again, is like this sort of John Waters-esque over the top crazy freak out when he is no longer when he's like missing from the bathtub and you're like what what is going on like what is this thing missing and immediately you, you know okay it needs it's kept in water and it needs brains to live so already your your expectations of what you're about to see are set um <laughs> yeah. and also Morris and Martha are so strange and bizarre and they almost remind me of Roman and Minnie Castavet from Rosemary's Baby but in like an alternate universe yeah yeah <laughs> I like that uh, they intend to present the brain to Elmer with uh, just a little bit of flat leaf parsley. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Always thinking about presentation. It's all about the presentation. Love it. <laughs> yeah, no, I think this is great. And then we got like a kind of like very, very fleeting intro to Brian, uh, who kind of like, he kind yeah. of strikes he's a little bit of a waster at this point. He's already ill. He's kind of conked out, misses a call or kind of picks up a call from Barbara. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I, yeah, I think that like when it cuts back to um, Martha and Morris kind of flat, frantically racing around the building, knocking on people's doors, checking in on everybody's bathtubs. It's like I, speaking as somebody who was flying blind into this, was so into knowing what was going on. <laughs> By the way, like the carnage they wreak on their flat is sublime. Like having made a film where a flat is destroyed or a, a house is destroyed, you only get one shot at that, man. <laughs> like, yeah. Certainly on a Frank Hennon lot or set, you're not resetting that flat. Yeah, exactly. I love it. And yeah, when we first meet Brian, you know, he's kind of not feeling well and he also lives with his brother Mike. And yeah, he has a girlfriend, Barbara. But also it's sort of like this moment where he wakes up and he's got blood all over him. And then he sort of has this crazy hallucination where the ceiling, the light in the ceiling becomes this eyeball. And there's like <laughs> blue water that's filling up the bedroom. And it's this hallucination and it's super trippy. And he's sort of immersed in the blue water. And it's almost like he's being reborn. You know, I think it's sort of like he's it's yeah. almost sending him back to the womb to be reborn again. And maybe 15 minutes or 10 minutes before you actually meet Elmer. I think it's 15 or 20. I meant to check the counter when I was watching. And the reveal of him is like the most amazing thing. Yeah, like, I mean, like, I mean, when you what you're saying about kind of like, uh, obviously, yeah, he kind of like uh, Brian's kind of under the weather. Him and Barbara are supposed to be going to a concert. He kind of gives the ticket to Mikey. They leave, and then this mad hallucinogenic thing happens, and it takes like that entire sequence takes quite a long time. Like, you know, like what you're talking about, the kind of the bulb and the ceiling changing to an eyeball, and the room filling up with this weird blue secretion and stuff like that. This film, for an 85-minute film, it spends a decent amount of time on this. And this is, crucially, before you have any idea what the fuck is going on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, before you even know what's happening. And then the moment you see Elmer, and he's like, Hi, this is your new life, Brian. <laughs> and you hear this, this beautiful, calm, serene, articulate voice. And I, just telling you, like, again, as a drug would do, uh, let me take over. Let me make your life better. And he's also like, I found him to be, even though he's this like weird looking, like I call him the blue dick turd with wrinkles, um, with all these suction cups, mm -hmm. I found him to be so cute 
with his like little eyes and he's just like so <laughs> sweet and lovely. And I was like, I, how do I, I want one of these guys. Like I want an Elmer. And the fact that it's sort of this like puppetry happening, like he opens his mouth and then there's all these like tentacles and literally penetrates Brian's neck and gives him this <laughs> drug straight to his brain. So it's going, you see it going into his brain. You see all this like blue, it looks almost like a, a, a blue high C or something. And there's this lightning, the animated lightning <laughs> happening. And it's like getting high. And I, the first time I saw it, I was just like, holy fucking shit. This is incredible. <laughs> Um, I'm incredibly jealous of Brian throughout this film. On the um, on the Elmer reveal, um, I literally this was this was at the top of page two of um, the notes that I was taking for this, and I literally just have Elmer exclamation mark. I am very excited. He's so happy. <laughs> He's so happy. Like, right? I, I, I think it, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's just the puppet, but he looks extremely happy. He looks very comfortable in his own, like you say, his own weird skeletal skin. skin. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Ugh, he's he's just lovely. He's great. I think that you're right as well, Chelsea. That like it's he's so kind of like when you see him kind of as presented, when he's like, "I'm here to make your life better." Listen to the light, Brian, and all this stuff. And then when he goes to actually inject him with the stuff, when his mouth kind of retracts, everything under there is kind of horrible. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but you do get a kind of hint that things are generally horrible with what Elmer's doing, because like while all this is going on and while Brian's kind of in the early stages of his trip. You do kind of cut back to the Ackerman's house and they're both kind of convulsing on the floor with foam coming yeah. out of their mouth. Yeah, and it's sort of like their, you know, the withdrawal of the drug. Because obviously it's like, I think this is sort of made during like the Nancy Reagan just say no anti-drug campaign. <laughs> and I feel like this really oh, comes sure. through in the movie. <laughs> like this is this is your brain on Elmer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is your brain on Elmer. I know. Um, and then you know when when Brian is just like high as a kite, and he almost sort of goes into this sort of toddler like behavior. It's sort of childlike how he acts, and so he's running around like high as a kite and seeing colors everywhere. Sort of like he was on PCP or something, but he's just high on Elmer. Then <laughs> then the whole then like sort of being drawn like going outside, being drawn to the junkyard. And this sort of cop that's taking his sweet time when he hears that there's noise happening in the junkyard. And when you see Elmer attack and he goes like right for his brain and this sort of like really cute stop motion eating um, that sort of happens. I feel a little weird just saying that it's cute. But, you know, Brian's the one who gets to get high and everyone else is his meal. So he's using, you know, Brian to help facilitate this basically all-you-can-eat buffet that's New York City. But when that first attack uh, happened and I was like, what is happening? This is insane. I think as well when you see Brian on the effects of Elmer, I think that he reminds me of like Homer Simpson in the Land of Chocolate when he's in the junkyard. Oh, yeah, he's just kind of skipping and clapping <laughs> oh my and giggling. Like... Yes, exactly. That's exactly it. I love that. By the way, that security guard's that security guard is amazing. He takes an inordinate amount of time to put his jacket on. Oh my gosh, putting the jacket on and then he holds the gun up like right next to his face, like he's ready to go. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Such an interesting choice. <laughs> <laughs> time to kick some ass. That's right. Also, I really like that um, whenever uh, Elmer attacks someone to the head, it seems very much like the direction is just flail around. Um, until I tell you to stop because yeah. they all go on just a shade too long but uh, I do not mind yeah <laughs> then and then also you so you have like same thing with you know having to maybe deal with someone who you know is struggling with addiction that his girlfriend Barbara and Mike are trying to figure out what's wrong with him you know they're very concerned he's got all these locks on the door in his room and in the bathroom <laughs> and there's these weird pails of water and then he's really just having a bubble bath with elmer and just like flailing around and having the best time ever and you know he tried to tries to explain to barbara what's going on because she's like you know i want to you need, you need to take me on a date like we need to go out and she's like not having his explanation. And then one of the best things is at the restaurant when he sees, sees sort of the brain meatballs, spaghetti and meatballs, and these beautiful glistening little brains just like pulsing on the plate. And he's just losing his mind. 
And also, I think like the physical comedy and acting that Rick Hurst does as Brian is so great. I think that's like really underrated. His performance is awesome. For the most part, he plays it totally straight, like unless he's tripping. Um, But even then, he's doing his best kind of portrayal of someone who's tripping. Any other time, he gives this film way more than it's kind of asking of him. Yeah, I think it's like really um, underrated, his performance. And obviously like, so because a lot of people, I think, this was his first film role. And then he went on to be a huge soap opera star in like Days of Our Lives and Guiding Light and Young and the Restless. Like on hundreds of episodes, he was on like Bold and the Beautiful and General Hospital. He was on all these um, soap operas. But for this to be his debut, um, screen debut is is pretty incredible. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's, but I, I think um, his performance is I think incredible. that I think that none more so maybe than the scene you were just talking about when Brian and Barbara go out for dinner and he basically like um breaks up with her and she based on the explanation that he gives her she understandably thinks that he's on drugs well I yeah <laughs> which I suppose in a way in a, in a way he is but like when they're having that conversation and he's getting kind of like jolts from Elmer at the table and stuff and that's before the plate arrives kind of the plate with these kind of like say these kind of exquisitely presented brains <laughs> I um, I, th- yeah. I just I love everything about it but I think that the entire thing wouldn't work all the way if it wasn't for the work that he's doing here yeah, well, I mean, he's he's about to kind of reveal the, I guess, the secret or the deal that he's got in place with Elmer, and uh, Elmer's not really for that being revealed quite so soon. So he's yeah. kind of, I don't know if he's like nibbling at him or shocking him or whatever. But uh, yeah, you talk a lot, Mitch, about people trying to give a rational explanation for things and coming across quite crazy. This yeah. is the ultimate example. Yeah, he's doing yeah. that very thing here. I really love the kind of like uh, when he gets juiced up by Elmer and heads out on the town. Oh god. Next. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Um this whole thing's amazing. <laughs> um I literally wrote down he gets his fix and is ready to rock. <laughs> S- and, sounds about right, yeah. Yep. And then finds this punk bar hell to to hang out in. <laughs> There's a really long tracking shot, which is clearly just shot out the window of a car. Oh, yeah. It's clearly stolen. The 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 shot, I think it's on St. Mark Street, is just absolutely we I was re-watching, I was like, oh yeah. I, I think this is just a stolen shot. But also there's such a beautiful, Hen and Lauder is so good at the beautiful authenticity of New York City and really just giving you that like beautiful slice. Yeah, and that street shot's incredible. It's just, and I'm like, I can only imagine what the people around are thinking is happening with this guy running down the street looking crazy. <laughs> They're probably not really thinking much in 1988 in New York. That's true. You're right. You're right. Actually, you're right. In 88, yeah, no. <laughs> um, I love the fact that um, uh, when he catches the attention of the lady in the club... It's, I've just got her written as blonde barfly. Um, yeah, she um, uh, she warms to him when she sees him kind of like uh, actively and very physically romancing a speaker. <laughs> We've all done uh, it. Yes. <laughs> that, that scene, yeah, with, with Vicky Darnell kind of like spotting him, um, and she's also in Frankenhooker. But of yeah. course, there's the this movie is sort of infamously known for the scene in the I guess, I guess it's the the boiler room. I'm not exactly sure where it is, the geography of of where they are, but uh, <laughs> going to give him a blowjob and then obviously gets this like the dick turd surprise. And it also has this weird sort of X Files score throughout the movie, but it especially sticks out during this scene. I, I felt like this the score could have been in the X Files, and then totally just like sucking out her brain and. And I just feel like poor Vicky did not deserve that. But I know there's a rumor um, that the crew walked off set for that scene. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, oh, really? Yeah, they, 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 were just, they were offended. Yeah, yeah, they were offended <laughs> by it and walked off, which I, I really understand. I, I, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it's, it's a tough sell. I mean, it's a tough thing to put to an actress. I've, I've made some actors and actresses uncomfortable in my time, but that, I mean, that's nothing to this level. It's pretty graphic yeah i mean it's 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 really graphic and and it's definitely something that we would not it's one of those those things that's like only exist in the 80s like it's obviously not something i don't think we'd see in cinema in in horror cinema today but it just i think it's one of those like 80s moments and i I just don't think you know having watched this movie so many times i just feel like a movie like this wouldn't get made today like it's just such an uh incredible piece of horror cinema that i just don't know in terms of like they took there were such risks that were taken in the 80s especially in the horror genre that are just so insane and badass and amazing um, and the audiences were totally here for it. So I think this was like, 
Um, there was something about brain damage the first time I saw it that was just so crazy and refreshing, even though it's like absolutely not PC, especially this scene. But uh, I think that's another reason I had like this big appreciation for it. But also yeah. that he then removes his underwear because they're covered in blood and has no idea what happened. I'm just like, I feel like you'd be really concerned about having your underwear just absolutely full of blood. <laughs> A little more than he uh, is. Yeah, that you're confident is not yours. It's really, really a good sign if your underwear has blood on it. Yeah. Um, front or back. Yeah. Uh, either way, you're having a bad day. But like, I, I feel like if a film like Brain Damage were to be made today, all of this stuff would be played so much more for laughs. Like the line that she says in the in the boiler room or the alleyway, where she says something like, uh, "Feels like you got a real monster in there," when she's kind of stroking oh, yeah. his crotch. Yeah. Uh, that would be so different nowadays. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And then I think it's a good, it's not until this point, which again, I wish I would have been like seeing the timeline of the movie, but when Morris Ackerman finally fi like finds Brian and you sort of finally get Elmer's origin story and you sort of get the whole history of, of him from, from Morris. And of course, Brian's like, you fucking named him Elmer? What? But <laughs> Morris is so addicted, he wants him back. Like, I, we want to get him back. And because, you, you know, he's, he's addicted. He's addicted to Elmer. How, you know, need, need another fix. Yeah, yeah. Also, um, uh, Morris's backstory that he gives for Elmer here is incredibly detailed and generation and centuries and millennium spanning. Yeah, pretty yes. well acted. Yes, and it's just like he get that's his like monologue. He just gives this yeah, very detailed explanation all in like one big go, which I thought was pretty amazing. <laughs> I think like, it is great. Like uh, like yeah, it's like uh, like as an isolated acting moment in there, it's really really fucking good. Considering the nonsense he's been given to speak, he's like absolutely killing it. Excuse me, it's really deep heavy historical chat. Like there's proper hints of actual history in there, like the Borgias and stuff like that. Like there's little bits that kind of makes sense but they've just injected this weird we'll continue to, to call him a dick turd into the and i guess into known history yeah yeah and and then it's sort of in that moment where i think like sort of he, he brian hears all this and he's like okay maybe i need to kick what this is and that sort of like inspires him to what well, even with his brother like still trying to help him and that's not that's not happening and so deciding to check into the beautiful sunshine motel <laughs> Tell you what, Frank Henenlotter loves a dirty hotel. Yeah, yeah I, th I, th yeah. I think this whole thing is interesting because uh, we get kind of good. We get a good kind of. I think that Morris's stuff, apart from the history of Elmer, I think that the kind of he gives a good kind of uh, cliff notes of Elmer and how he works, kind of thing, and this whole oh, feeding him human brains is making him too strong, kind of thing. And Brian is really super kind of unfazed by that initially. But yeah, like you say, he kind of he comes around to it and he packs his bag and heads out. And yeah, the motel that he heads to to kind of kick his habit is. Absolutely, <laughs> pound for pound, fucking revolted. <laughs> like everything, everything that you see for the entire time that he's there, I think, just looks like it is coated in this layer of filth. Like it just, it everything so about it that you see looks like if you touched it, it would be sticky. I like that this film kind of falls into a, a subgenre that I'm going to label the feed me Seymour subgenre. Nice. Oh yeah. Someone's kind of got themselves in a quid pro quo situation with uh, an entity that perhaps on reflection isn't necessarily the best idea and this That's film, way of it. yeah this film fits i, I think fits snugly yeah. into that and i'd like to install that moving forward mitch i think that's fair yeah i think so that's a great uh i'm gonna i'm gonna take that and run with it that's a great subgenre. <laughs> <laughs> you are welcome um my kind of one of my favorite sequences in the film happens now which is kind of like when brian like you say he's kind of like he's holding up he's ready to kind of go cold turkey kind of try and kick the habit kind of thing but then him and Elmer kind of have this kind of Mexican standoff where Elmer's oh, like, okay, yeah. you need my kind of brain juice. Oh, I need a body. Um, let's both just stay here and we'll see who cracks first. I love everything about this because Elmer is still the way he's been this entire time, which like we talked about earlier is this incredibly like sunny disposition and like super cheerful and stuff like that. But I love the fact that it's just tinged with such a darkness that wasn't there before when this happens. Yeah, it's so great. And also he's like, Brian's like sweating blood and um, practical effects scene where he's playing the like shit out of his ear, the like weird brain chunk. He's just like gushing blood. He's having this like crazy nightmare and Elmer is like loving every minute of it. 
because his, his withdrawal is so intense and Elmer's just singing and having a blast and he's doing this like little wiggle in the sink. And then Brian finally like gives in, but then Elmer's like, no, you got to feed me first. It's sort of like, you know, um, yeah. I'll give you the, dr- it's like finding the money. It's like finding the money to get your drugs. He has to feed Elmer before he can get his fix. Um, I don't want to gloss over Elmer's singing. No, no, no. He's an asshole, but he's quite the crooner. <laughs> oh, it's just the best. And he's just like, oh, most amazing thing. I'm just like, what I need to find an Elmer you, to just own in my house. If you don't think that <laughs> Elmer's tune is going to be at the end of this episode, you are mistaken. <laughs> um, I love the fact that like, um, because he's like singing a cappella. I love the fact that I was kind of just like, oh, yeah, like this isn't good. Like, and, and they basically just give him the whole song. Yeah. I just get to be like, oh, it's going to be like a verse and a chorus. Oh, it's the second verse, I guess. Oh, we're doing the whole song. <laughs> yeah, the whole song. <laughs> yep, and quite right as well, I think. But yeah, you're, you're right. I mean, obviously, um, obviously, Brian breaks first. Yes, of course. And then there's this sort of like very kind of strange scene. He like, and he just looks so disgusting the way his like shirt is drenched and stained. Oh, and it's just like... Her, her- the grossest fucking thing. Ugh. His vest is horrible. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I actually I took and, that down as well. Yeah, yeah. Ugh. I was just like, I can't imagine like how he smells. Like in the- <laughs> 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 after like sweating blood. And then, you know, when they're sort of on the hunt for a victim for Elmer Elmer, there's this like sort of strange shower scene with the super super jacked Joseph Gonzalez, who's also in Frankenhooker, and he just Franken- like reminds me of like a, a Tom of Finland character. He's just like this like beautifully jacked guy. But um, Elmer has his sights on the poor guy on the toilet instead of the guy in the shower. And because they're like, mm, I don't know if we can take that guy on. But the the, the blood spray that happens and <laughs> just like <laughs> shooting straight up off the, the bathroom stall and just covering the floor is just some absolute 80s blood delight. And obviously, Elmer gets to eat, and Brian gets his fix, and just totally crashes out. See, for me, the the scene in the cubicle for me is easily uh, one of the best examples of DIY filmmaking. Just someone in a cubicle with a plastic bottle full of fake blood, just spraying it up a wall while a man (laughs) thrashes until he's told to stop. Yeah, exactly. I love it so much. And then it's kind of interesting that, like, while Brian is sort of dealing with this addiction his brother mike from the beginning of the movie is after barbara he's just like has his sights on brian's girlfriend and it's 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 evident the whole time and they're making out and 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 having sex and brian is like hearing all of this when they're back at his apartment and they don't know he's home it's just so awkward and so uncomfortable but you know from the beginning like mike has his eyes on barbara like he he's his brother's like clearly after her um yeah, and, yeah but like uh, um, you, but you say like you you say from the beginning though, right? And I have a question about this, and I'm kind of curious about your take because yeah. he because I think that um I think that the brother makes the move on Barbara, uh, Mikey makes the move on Barbara. What feels what feels that really quickly, Chelsea? In real time, how much time do you think that the events of this film play out over? Oh my god, is it like I feel like like what we're what, like what you're watching? Two two days, maybe three, if that. It's very soon. <laughs> It's very quick. That makes his brother absolutely reprehensible. Yeah, yeah. I think it's like, because the movie lives almost entirely, correct me if I'm wrong, in nighttime. I don't think any any of it happens in the daytime. So it's either like one night or maybe two nights. Um, It all happens very fast. I think it's two nights. Kind of crazy. (laughs) I think that makes the move that Mikey makes on Barbara very premature. (laughs) It's like, oh, he's been weird for a day. Yeah. Yeah, it's like now's my chance. Um <laughs> <laughs> Well, we've lost him. <laughs> yep, we we what guess we'll carry on. But uh, <laughs> And then there's that like really sort of strange that that sort of hyperspace jump that happens as he's like dreaming and the 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 fantasy, he's like covered in the suction cups and eating Barbara's brains, but but his brother is also there that like weird dream he has that's a little foreshadowing i think to what's going to happen to barbara but i always thought that scene was like very interesting and very strange and like total sort of darkness and he sort of becoming one with with elmer with the sort of suction cups all over his body 
I thought was like actually a really cool little dream sequence happening. Yeah, I think it's cool. I think it feels kind of like uh, like almost totally at odds with how over the top the rest of the film is. I think yeah. the way that plays out is a little bit more kind of like, yeah, it's like a little bit more kind of like restrained. Yeah, yeah. And then he's like, you know, I think that dream sort of makes him realize he's like, OK, I need to warn, you know, my quote unquote loved ones about like what's happening and of course that doesn't work out and Barbara follows him and then you have that scene in the subway and a lovely Dwayne from from Basket Case shows up with Belial in the basket yes. yeah um mm-hmm. yeah which I thought was really cool I like when the first time I saw that I was like what that's awesome and of Seems course like, uh, uh Elmer's coming out of the mouth and eating Barbara's brains and you know we sort of knew she wasn't long for this world but uh it's sort of like Brian was resisting and then totally like gives into it because he and I think like he sort of has be- they're sort of fused in that moment. And I think it really scares him on the subway. I really like the entire way that the subway scene plays out. I like the fact that the way that you see because obviously like it kind of plays out. If you take the Elmer stuff out of it, it's a very straight relationship conversation between, yeah. Brian, uh, between Brian and Barbara. But I think that like the fact that it plays out in a way that's like way more sinister than the rest of the time that you see Elmer, like the entire depiction is way stranger. Oh yeah, and yeah. way darker, and I think like way more kind of nightmarish in a way more subtle way. And I yeah, I, I think that this is great. I would say that this is probably uh, my second favorite sequence in here, um, second to the kind of battle of wills in the motel we were talking about. I think the subway stuff plays out really, really nicely. Yeah, I absolutely love that scene and that that sort of moment between them. And, and you know, poor Barbara, I just feel so bad. <laughs> yeah like the ultimate the ultimate like innocent victim Uh, in this whole thing i think yeah exactly yeah and uh gets her brain sucked out by elmer and then i think that sort of like you know scares brian a little bit in that moment and then that that moment um with uh morris and martha demanding to have elmer back and he's he loves his host he loves that brian's his host and then and doesn't want to go back and sort of uh has ends up um eating his his past hosts uh brains martha and morris and uh it's it's kind of funny how that those scenes are filmed where martha's brains are getting sucked out of her forehead but she's not like your instinct would be to put your hands on it and like try to pull it off but no mm-hmm. one's touching <laughs> because of the <laughs> the, the puppet slash prosthetic because you would instinctively like rat like try to pull him off so I, I i thought that was i was like oh that's that's kind of funny that she's just flailing around and screaming um <laughs> and then you know morris who you think is dead is still alive and ends up kind of giving brian this like od you know, as he's like, you know, squishing the shit out of Ulmer and Brian's totally ODing on the on the uh, the blue drink of uh, the blue drug uh, of Elmer. And that's sort of like it kind of was that's kind of a sad moment for me watching that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, obviously, Elmer is bad and you, you do feel a certain sadness for Brian in, in this moment because he didn't really ask for this. He just woke up with this. But yeah, it, it feels yeah. very much like they could have just found a way to make it work. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, I think actually, like, um, I think that there's a certain sadness to every character in this who's kind of become dependent on him. Because I think yeah. that, like, Brian's story, I think, is kind of tragic. But I think that um, uh, Martha and Morris, um, they're these kind of, like, these... They're, these... they're lifers. Yeah, they, they really are. And it's like, and I think, like, you know, it's, it's weird that I think that, like, you know, they're introduced and they turn up just a little bit. But when they come back at the end, it's like, this is obviously, like, an all-consuming thing. And I, yeah, I think that I think that there's a hint or a kind of tinge of sadness to every character you meet that comes into contact with Elmer. For as much as I think that Elmer is a joyful screen presence, <laughs> I think it brings like a lot of misery to everyone around him. Yeah, and and uh, yeah, as um, sort of this drug abuse will do, sort of what he's done, and also like Martha and Morris have aged so much because I feel like they, from when you first see them in the movie till the end, it's sort of like serving that Elmer is like you know, maybe keeping them youthful and keeping them a little younger. But yeah, yeah, there is some, there is a, there is a tragic, it's tragic what happens to pretty much all the characters, anyone that Elmer comes in touch with. And, and, mm-hmm. and because of this sort of overdose, it causes Brian to have this crazy meltdown, you know, starts growing this insane tumor out of the top of his head and, and decides to, 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 to shoot it to what you think is good to happen is 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 he's going to attempt to to uh, end it and you know you see that shot outside the window of the gun go off and then this this light and you go in and you see that he's 
his head is blown open and there's this crazy blinding light coming out of his head and this lightning. And that's another thing that reminded me of, of Repo Man when they open the trunk. I almost feel like that, okay. that power maybe is, could, could exist in the same universe. This crazy, almost like weird existential moment that, that Brian has. And, and of course, our beautiful animated lightning. I think it's such an incredible end to the movie. It totally just blew my mind, literally, when I saw it. Um, I think that like um, pretty much uh, there's a lot of individual things in this sequence where I think that effect wise um, it's really really cool I think that the one that I would the one that sticks out in my head would be the kind of uh, the tumor yeah 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 yeah. Yeah. I really like how totally kind of like how totally feverish this gets oh yeah it gets bonkers in the best possible way and as a practical effects guy I can't get enough of it especially like people kind of finding their skill and doing what they can with little because this film didn't have a massive budget and they really I think they really push what they could do with the budget they had in terms of the the effects because the effects they're pretty good yeah yeah I think so too and especially the the stuff in the hotel room and I mean um Gabriel Bartalis I think did the special effects who did Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 and from beyond and has done tons of stuff with I mean he did Frankenhooker and Bad Biology he did like the Leprechaun franchise like he's done a ton of stuff so i think it's pretty uh amazing oh absolutely and like you say chelsea like the kind of the kind of final shot on this is brian shoots himself you kind of think that this might be the end of it uh but we close on um a massive glowing hole in the side of his head and we are out on uh brain damage powerful final shot (laughs) (laughs) by the way i just want to quickly say about the um we were talking about people not struggling very much whether it's in an attempt to protect the integrity of a of a an effect or an appliance or something but that girl uh doesn't struggle particularly much when she's being uh choked with the uh dick yeah yeah. <laughs> I didn't really like, it wasn't until a couple times that I watched it where I actually noticed that. And I was like, oh, I feel like in, like what you do instinctively, I was just so along for the ride that I never even noticed until um, having mm-hmm. seen it multiple times. Um, that I was like, oh yeah, you, you'd like really try to pull it off or out or whatever you need to do when, you know, something like that's attacking you, like just what right. you instinctively want to do. But I was just totally down for the ride. So I didn't even notice until like, you know, I've seen it so many times at this point. <laughs> but yeah, I was just, I just, I was like, oh, you know, Elmer's just got that power. Maybe you can't do it. I don't know. I was trying to sort of reason about why that is, but I think you go, you're there for the ride. Oh, 100%, 100%. I, I mean, like I say, we're, we're kind of we're, we're done with the film at this point. I really love this film. I do prefer Frankenhooker, but I've got such a lot of love for Brain Damage. Um, and Mitch, I'm so glad that you took more away from it than you did with Basket Case. Yeah, it's an interesting one for me. I think, like I say, I um, I went and called on Basket Case as well. Didn't know much about it when I watched it. Watched it for the first time maybe about a year and a half ago, maybe slightly more. And um, yeah, I didn't really do much for me at all. So when I saw that you picked this, Chelsea, and again, I didn't know much about it apart from the fact that it was another Frank Henenlotter film and it was the second one of mine like i still haven't i haven't seen frank nicker yet um, <laughs> okay but like um but i watched this and um yeah i don't know i think that like this did as much for me as it was cold on basket case like i think that like uh i just i got on the level with it wait like i mean i think that like elmer as a creation is absolutely phenomenal but i was <laughs> way more i was way on board before we even had a glimpse of him. Oh, yeah. And I think, you know, it's, yeah, I was, you know, in terms of, like, the, the creations Hennen Lauder makes, I am probably on more, not that, not that there needs to be a team, but I'm Team Elmer over Team Belial, personally. Sure. And... And this, and I didn't really realize, so there was like quite a bit of time between those two movies. And also when I was, I was, you know, thinking about about movies to discuss, I was like, I was just curious and brain damage actually has a 69% fresh on Rotten Tomatoes, which I was actually, I I don't know what I expected it to be, but I was like, just curious. And I looked it up yesterday. I was like, what? No way. That's (laughs) fucking awesome. (laughs) Um, I kind of looked into this a little bit as well, actually. And um, yeah, I, I kind of did a little bit of digging and it seems like this is kind of like um, the Rotten Tomatoes rating for this is kind of reflective of people kind of latching onto it after the fact. I think that yes. like what you're seeing there is kind of like a lot of kind of, yeah, like people kind of like developing an appreciation for it retrospectively. I think it like, it seems like it got quite a hard time at the time. Yeah, well, I, I mean, that's kind of been the story of Hen and Lotter's career, really. Like 
Basket case yeah. was pretty badly received. Brain damage was pretty badly received. And the same for Frankenhooker. But over the kind of, in the intervening kind of 30 years, they've become massive cult hits, huge cult hits. And I think they're superb. I think Frank Henenlott is an absolute treasure. Oh, uh, absolutely. I'm going to go as Frankenhooker for Halloween this year. So. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. I just want to quickly say before we move on, Mitch. Um, I know I've touched on the past about my youthful dalliances and hallucinogenics. Yes. I would gladly take the blissful unawareness that I was killing people to try this blue thing, this blue drug. <laughs> <laughs> I think it speaks to I think it speaks to a weird addictive part of my personality where I was like, huh, I really want to try that. I want to see what that does. Like it just seems like it <laughs> just seems like he's having a nice time. He does, yeah, he doesn't seem to have a bad trip. No. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Actually, a little dose of Helps the medicine go fun. down. <laughs> yeah, exactly. When you were speaking about practical effects, obviously brain damage was another um, influence for Satanic Panic in terms of doing all practical effects, because I too am a practical effects fan. So ah, okay, influences cool. everywhere. And speaking of Satanic Panic, we're on the road to Fright Fest, and of course, Satanic Panic screening there. Yes. Uh, do you want to talk a little bit about the film? Because um, a lot of our listeners, I think, are kind of either heading there for the day or heading there for the weekend. Do you want to talk a little bit about the film, how it came together? Well, yeah. I, I mean, I, for one, have a couple of questions, Chelsea. I mean, obviously, this was kind of written by Grady Hendrix and Ted Geegan. How did all that come about and, and the kind of Fangoria involvement and then your involvement? How did all that kind of come together? Okay, so I read the script in December of, uh, what was it? 2017. A friend of mine just sent it to me and they're like, you should read this. Cause they know I love Grady Hendrix's work. And, um, I love, uh, my best friend's exorcism and horror store. And I'm also a fan of Ted Gagan's movies. So I read the script. I loved it. I thought this movie is fucking awesome. I can't wait to see it get made. And sure enough, cut to, you know, six months later, after I shot my first movie, All That We Destroy, the script came to my agent for my consideration to direct. And sh- my agent reached out to me. They're like, are you interested in this? This looks awesome. And I said, I've already read it. I would love to do it. And of course, I saw Fangoria's name on it, which I wanted to be a part of that. And it, it all happened very quickly. I know they talked to uh, Fangoria reached out to Ryan Turek at Blumhouse and sort of asked him who would be who would you recommend direct this? And he he recommended me. So I think that's one of the reasons it sort of came to me. Nice. And uh, Ryan and I are really good friends. So they saw my first and Fangoria saw my first movie. And they knew I came from both a horror background because I worked for Jason Blum for four years at Blumhouse and a comedy background because I worked for Judd Apatow for two years um, before I worked at Blumhouse. So I had a comedy and a horror background. And honestly, Satanic Panic is... For me, I wanted to make something that was like a love letter to movies like Drag Me to Hell and Jennifer's Body and Evil Dead and uh, Race with the Devil and House of the Devil and Rosemary's Baby and sort of make a love letter to all these films that I am such a huge fan of. And yeah, it all came together very quickly. We shot it in September, October of last year. And yeah, it was a crazy fun shoot in in Dallas, Texas. And it's it's uh, it's basically this the, the trailer is out and the uh, poster's out, but it's the story of this pizza delivery girl who um isn't getting any tips and goes to this sort of upper class neighborhood and delivers a ton of pizza and doesn't get a tip and decides she's had enough of that and breaks in and little does she know she is the has ne- stepped into a satanic cult. Um, who are looking for a virgin, and she happens to be one, and chaos ensues. So it's a pretty <laughs> batshit crazy movie. There's a, it's it's really wild. I, I basically wanted to make something that you know you'd rent as a teenager and watch and see it, and maybe it would inspire you to want to make horror movies. So that sort of was my my goal, and I wanted to make huh. something really fun because I think there's a lot of sort of nihilistic horror movies out right now, and I think you know especially. Mm-hmm. Here in America, I think because of our political climate, and I was like, I just was. I was like, I really need some escapism right now, and so let's make something really fun. Um, but it also is a commentary on classism, and uh, yeah. So, so I really hope people have a blast when they watch it, and 
the we have an amazing soundtrack by Wolfman of Mars, who I'm a huge fan of. And uh, yeah, I wanted to make it. I basically call it my punk rock Wizard of Oz. <laughs> <laughs> See, I um, I totally thought that I had all my Fright Fest scheduling planned out, but I've got a real tough one on my hands because when Satanic Panic screening, there's a shorts block showing at the same time that's got um, One Last Meal playing, which has two of our previous guests on it, of course, uh, directed by Jill and uh, starring Matt Mercer. Yes. So I've got a tough decision to make. Jill won't mind. <laughs> uh, Jill's actually a friend of mine. So that's, that's, I mean, that's good problems to have. Fright Fest has an incredible lineup. I'm so honored to be a part of it. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, um, yeah. I wish I could go. The only reason I'm not there is because it is this same weekend as the LA premiere. Oh, okay. Okay. That's a good, that's, that's, that's a good way to double book. That's a good reason to be busy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Otherwise, I would have gone in two seconds because I've never had the pleasure of, of going to Fright Fest. But I just, uh, LA, everyone here is just desperate to see the movie and we're going to all see it together and we're having a big, huge premiere for it. So I'm, I'm really, ah, the timing is just uh, bums me out. But hopefully uh, the next movie will be at Fright Fest. <laughs> I was going to say, there's always next year and there's always the next film. Exactly, exactly. Uh, Chelsea, where can people get you on social media if they want to keep up with what's going on? You can find me on Instagram at Chelsea Stardust and you can find me on Twitter at Stardust Chelsea. Okay. Excellent, good. excellent. Chelsea, thank you very much for doing this. Uh, I like. Uh, I know you had listened to our kind of Fright Fest bonus ode uh, and you held the satanic panic had made both of our top tens i really can't wait to see it and thank you so much for doing this it, it's been a real treat you made our jobs dead easy yeah that's true <laughs> <laughs> well thank you so much for having me i'm so happy jill connected us and uh, this podcast is awesome i'm a huge fan um and i'm so honored that you asked me and uh, i would be happy to come on again and talk about there's so many other movies i'd love to discuss but i'm so glad you let me do brain damage because as you heard me geeking out so much it is one of my favorites and if any listeners out there have not seen it, please seek it out. Arrow Video has a beautiful Blu-ray of it. Check it out and support the master that is Frank Henenlotter. Yeah, and it was the Arrow Video Blu-ray, of course, that we watched. Yeah, it was, it was. Um, and a massive thanks to our pals at Arrow Video for always being super amazing and giving us loads of free stuff when we do live shows. <laughs> <laughs> amazing. Thank you so much. And yeah, yeah, we'll, um, we'll definitely hit you back when we've seen it. All right, perfect. Thank you, guys. Have a great week. Isn't it great to hear someone really dig in on something that they're passionate oh, about? I, I, I can't get enough of it, man. I, I, I love hearing someone who just comes in so full of beans, so full of energy, knowing exactly what they want to say and when their kind of love of the film comes across so comes much. across yeah. Uh, but yeah yeah it's amazing and massive thanks to Chelsea for coming along and doing that yeah yeah she's a she's a busy lady I appreciate her freeing up some time to talk to us on this oh, one 100% yeah a pair of dicks like us I know I know yeah, and don't forget blue if, dick tons like us exactly and don't forget if you're heading to Fright Fest this year whether it be for the day for the festival you can catch Satanic Panic in the main screen on the Monday on the Monday yeah. yes tickets are on sale now I think that we should probably just like we've had a lot of guests they've got some films playing we should start posting up some ticket links letting people know where they can really yeah. go take some action I think we'll do that because yeah. uh, realistically that's what I'm going to have to do so it might be handy for me to have uh, links to individual tickets yeah, myself just, just points of reference <laughs> if nothing else but yeah huge thank you to Chelsea Stardust director of course of Satanic Panic for taking the time to come talk to us about Brain Damage tonight that was a lot of fun it really was and I love it it's, 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 just, it's just great and you know what going in I would say against all odds I love it too a great time. It was a great time. So with that, I guess it's just about time to wrap up once again. You see, you're right, Mitch. There's a, there's a sadness to this, don't you think? Yeah, I think so. I think so. So with that, I'm going to just suggest one more thing to just keep the clock ticking for a second longer. Oh, God, what? I just want to know what you think about this. We we haven't discussed this, but... Um, I don't like this. Off the back of um, when we were talking about Congo last uh-huh. week on the Mothman Prophecies episode, a couple of people were talking about the fact that we should talk about that on the show, and you kind of said, maybe it's time for another Listener's Choice episode. Right. Or I believe that it was mooted. That Are you just wanting time. to fl- just straight up now select Congo as a Listener's Choice episode? I'm Is just that saying that it's maybe time to open the floor up again for suggestions for another Listener's Choice episode. Cool, because what I was thinking is uh, we could actually do a drunk commentary to Congo. Okay, that, you, that, that we would release that you'd watch along with the film. Yeah. Okay. Let's open up the floor. Those are your <laughs> options. Either me and Andy drink a bunch of wine and then we watch Congo and record an audio commentary that you can watch along with it. Or we open up the floor for another listener's choice. Let us know. Let us know. Segway. And I'll tell you how you can do that. 
Loads of ways to do that. Facebook and Instagram are Strong Language Violent Scenes. You can tweet us as well at Strong Violent PC or email Longer Considerations to Strong Language Violent Scenes at gmail.com. And while you've got the email address there, Mitch, remember, folks, uh, we are also taking Mitch's pitch suggestions. Why the hell not? Uh, don't feel you have to leave it all to me. Ever since we mooted this as well, people have been getting in touch. Yeah, we have had, some ideas to play with here. We've already had a few. I haven't um, looked at any of them. Yeah, you fucking better not. No, I promise. I don't trust you. (laughs) (laughs) Is next week's one going to be a listener submission? It may well be. I'm not going to tell you. I'm not going to tell you. Okay. And you can, of course, find out for yourselves if you join us for the mini-sode that's coming your way on Monday. Mini-sode 65. We'll be doing all the usual stuff. We'll be talking about what we've been watching. We'll be charting my progress through the Shockwaves 100. We'll be taking a look at your feedback. Hopefully there will be some of that. That's always nice. We'll be playing another round of Mitch's Bitches, of course. And we will be letting you know everything you need to know for episode 66. By the way, I can tell you that it's going to be sub feedback because there's been a fair amount of chat around my gebbles uh, and sponges yeah about my admissions surrounding my youthful dalliances and the realms of kind of masturbation i was somewhat concerned that this would uh, span out into a second week and uh yes it's definitely gonna <laughs> yeah someone's tweeted just now hashtag spongegate <laughs> <laughs> yes uh, so, yeah. that's how you know you've made it when so. you've had a when you've had a prefix gate do you know what? Or suffix gate. I don't even care. People out there do weirder things when they're younger, when they're wanking. It's not just Sure. Me. Andy, where can people listen? Everywhere. Cool. Can you narrow it down? I shall. I'll All give right. you seven. <sighs> okay. One. Spotify. Two. iTunes. Three. Google Podcasts. Four. Acast. Five. Tune in. Six. Stitcher. Seven. Podbean. That's my fave. <laughs> And don't forget, whichever platform you're listening on, if you are feeling charitable, feel free slash encouraged slash compelled to drop us a wee like, a subscription, a rating, any of that kind of thing. We have it on reasonable authority that it makes a difference. Yeah, yeah. Apparently the the figures don't lie. (laughs) If I knew what they meant, I'm sure that I would agree. (laughs) Yep. The boffins tell me. Yeah. (laughs) But it's all, uh, yeah, it's, it's an important part of the process. Yep, absolutely. We're back Monday. Join us then if you can. Andy. Any ideas on how to leave it that might be a little bit of a change from advice about chads? Yeah, I mean, as much as we think it's important that people are made aware of the the ever-present threat of chud attack, Mm -hmm. um, I think it's best that we leave this week on a slightly lighter note with the silky, warm tones of Elmer's tune. Good night. While the stars always winking and blinking above What makes a fella start thinking of falling in love it's not the season, the reason is plain as a moon. It's just Elmer's tune. What makes a lady of A go out on the loose? Why does a gander meander in search of a goose? What puts the kick in a chicken, the magic in June? It's just Elmer's tune. Listen. Hardison, there's a lot you're liable to be missing. <laughs> Sing it, so wing it. Well, the old way and in the old time, the hurdy gurdies, the birdies, the crop on the beat, the candy maker, the baker, the man on the street, the city charmer, the farmer, the man in the moon. Well, sing Elmer's tune. <laughs> You've been listening to Strong Language and Violent Scenes with Andy Stewart and Mitch Bain. Strong Language and Violent Scenes theme by Mitch Bain. Production and artwork by Andy Stewart. Find us on Stitcher, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts and Podbean. <laughs>